When I was growing up in England, I attended a parish in the village where I sang in the choir, and it was a fairly high church parish. And during Lent, we observed something called Mothering Sunday. And Mothering Sunday was about the Virgin Mary, and it was about Mother Church, and it was about all of that sort of thing. And so I started wondering if there was a relationship between that and Mother's Day. Did a little digging around and discovered that Mothering Sunday was one of those sort of Christianized takeover jobs like Easter. Easter was uh, a, a pagan festival called Oystra uh, in celebration of the, the god Astarte or Esther, who was a sort of springtime renewal goddess. And Mothering Sunday took over a Roman holiday called Hilaria that... Uh, celebrated the mother goddess called something like Cybele or Kybele. And so it was, a, it was one of these takeover jobs which said the church is really the mother goddess and the Virgin Mary is the representation of the church and we recognize that that's how we're nurtured and mothered and so on. Well, apparently this festival fell into disuse during the 20th century in Europe until the presence of American troops in Europe during the Second World War who always observed with great religious fervor Mother's Day on the second Sunday in May, and that revitalized Mothering Sunday during Lent, which is why I grew up noticing and celebrating. I mean, who knew? You know, it's, it's good stuff. But it's, so Mother's Day and its historical antecedents are all about uh, nurturing, all about the whole business of caring for others and those who provide care. Now, I dare say there are some of us here who as children did not enjoy nurturing parents, but many of us would think of a home and growing up and parents and family as a place of nurture in our childhoods and our parents, perhaps mothers especially, as providers of that nurture. Because nurturing is being cared for in a way that allows us to thrive. Nurture is sustenance and also appropriate freedom. It's being held tight without being suffocated. It's being fed and clothed and schooled but not bribed. Uh, we're not manipulated, not taught that all of life is a quid pro quo or a matter of exchange, utilitarian. It's, it's about love. Nurture is being reminded that we're of infinite value because we are made by love for love, that we're beloved of God and not simply useful. Nurture is love in action that allows us to thrive. And it's all very well when we think of ourselves as children, but it's true that we need that kind of caring capacity that helps us to thrive as adults as well. Think about it for a moment. Where in your life do you really get cared for, nurtured because of who you are? Where are you cared for, especially outside your home, your partners, your spouses, uh, the, the most intimate people in your life? Where outside of that group? Do you look for care? And are those the right places? What, where can we find some clues? Well, this, this innocuous, rather innocuous story of Paul in Philippi actually has some clues for us. Because Paul grasped in a vision that the people in Macedonia needed to be cared for. They needed to hear the story of God's love. They needed to hear that they were valued because they were beloved of God. And hear what Jesus had done in the name of that love. And so Paul and his companions stayed in Philippi for a few days, and needing some nurture themselves, perhaps, they went outside the city looking for a place of prayer, because prayer can be a place where we find ourselves 
just able to let go a little bit and, and to be cared for. It was a fairly significant Roman colony there, and people prized their citizenship, and the women were gathered at this place of prayer that they found. And one of them was a woman from Theatira, now in Turkey, which interestingly enough is a carpet center, still to do with weaving in a sense, because she was a, her name was Lydia, and she was a dealer in purple cloth. Very important to the Romans, a sign of status, sign of power, because the purple dye was so difficult to get. And that's why we sort of inherit that tradition in the church. It's why bishops wear purple shirts. Uh, it's a sign of this, uh, this sort of authority, like the, like the Roman senators used to have it embroidered on their, on their gowns and what have you. And somewhere in her business, she was probably a homeowner, which means she was probably a widow. Somewhere in all of this, she heard about God's love in a way that led her to baptism. And she and her whole household, children, slaves, servants, whoever else was there, were baptized together. And out of that sense of experiencing God's love, she then extended to Paul and his companions hospitality and prevailed upon them to stay and rest and receive sustenance in her home. It's sort of about giving and taking, receiving and being received it's, it's this business of nurture for adults is a communal matter. It may seem pretty obvious, but we are nurtured when we know we are valued and appreciated for who we are and not for some other purpose. If you think about your experiences with evangelists who are telling good news, so often it sounds as if they need us in order to grow the church or they need us in order to balance the budget, or they need us for some utilitarian thing, and somewhere in the business, love gets lost. You must think like me in order to be saved so that I can feel better about myself. And suddenly, whether we know it or not, we're feeling objectified. We're not being loved for who we have been created to be. Because evangelism, really, good news, is about sharing ourselves, bearing witness to the love we have received and how that's good news and so on. It's never about objectifying. So think about where do you seek to be cared for or nurtured? Where in your life do you do that? I mean, it can happen perhaps in the cinema or the movie house, but, but even that's a, an economic transaction of sorts. We might get to rest a bit. Or how about sometimes I think, gosh, I, I'd love to not do the dishes and not fix a meal and not worry about it. Let's just go out. And, and in a sense get cared for. But that caring, if there is any nurture, I think comes from the company that we're in rather than from the actual business of being served, which isn't, however nice it is and friendly, it's an economic transaction. Someone else is cooking it and we're giving them money. And, and it can see, there's a sort of fake friendship sometimes, like a waiter who's read the read the book on how to get better tips knows that if they get down at eye level and look at you when they take their order that you'll give them a better tip. Please, please, God, if they just wouldn't touch me, you know. So, I don't mind the first name thing, but don't touch me, really. It's, a, it's an economic transaction when it comes right down to it. And, and so is that really a place that we get cared for? What happens is we start looking for that nurture in all the wrong places, looking for love in all the wrong places, because it's a communal thing. And where else do you find a community that talks about our being valued for who we are, being loved because we're made for love. Where else but in 
communities of faith, Christian communities in particular, that we're bringing these children into today and conferring upon them identity that says you are beloved, not because you can consume, not because you're useful, but because you are made by love for love. Where else can we come? And even if we've been teaching Sunday school and rushing around and getting people sorted and getting sh right shoes on the right feet, and where else can we come? And even if it's just for a moment in the middle of a service where we're not saying, shh, 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 whatever it is, we get to come and we get to receive. We get to be given the outward and visible signs of real love. Where else in life can we have that? And so community becomes terribly important. Today, we're proclaiming the good news of God's love for these beautiful children whose first step in faith we mark in baptism. But we're also reminding parents and godparents and all of us that we too can give and receive nurture in the community of faith, even as we promise to make manifest that community in the lives of those we represent. I like to tell the godparents, as I did yesterday in the, parent, in the instruction, the baptismal instruction, that you know, godparents are a wonderful thing because they represent the wider church. And so when, when your darling baptized child says, what happened to the goldfish who died, expired, and you've got to come up with something, the, the, you have this great gift. You say, you know, that's such a wonderful question. Let's call your godparents. <laughs> let's, let's find nurture in the wider community of faith. It's, it's a marvelous gift, but it's also a real, a real uh, expression of this kind of community in which we can invest. And so if you don't know really for whom you're going to care outside of your intimate circle, your family, uh, who are you going to care for, and if you don't know who's going to care for you, then maybe it's worth investing, investing yourself, which is all we have to invest, a little more deeply in the community of faith and teach your children well. Teach your children well, and you will not be far from the kingdom of heaven. Teach your children well. Invest in community, and you will not be far from the nurturing love of God in which we all thrive. That's the good news this day. Amen.